Hey guys, Kyle back with Kyle Burrell's Unedited Podcast, episode number 97. 97. Um, took last week off, you know, just uh, had a long weekend up in KC, so didn't want to rush a pod. Um, but definitely was going to get back on, get back going this week. We did KB and the boys last week on Friday, finally, after a couple, two, three weeks off. Really good podcast, gotta go check that out. Of course, all links will be <coughs> on uh, social media uh Twitter unedited unedited pod on Twitter check it out um KB and the boys was a good one um but we're going to get into we're going to first off we're going to talk about the Denver Nuggets uh then we're going to get into some combat sports got a few boxing headlines MMA headlines and we'll get into a little bit of UFC 289 wasn't a stat card but we'll still go through it and then we'll go into what's next though for some of the main fighters on the card then we're going to get into Manchester United nearly nearly sold um, sounds like it could happen tomorrow or, you know, I'm shooting this at 11. So almost, yeah, tomorrow, 56 hours from, or 56 minutes from tomorrow, uh, Tuesday, that'll be, I'm shooting this late Monday. Um, and then we're going to get my top six NBA drafts prospects at each position. We're going to go centers, forwards, wings, shooting guards, and point guards. Um, you know, NBA mocks are so tough in the NBA. You can get a lot right in the NFL because you know it, what way teams are going to lean a lot. NBA is just a shit show. I will do one more mock draft. Maybe two. I'll probably do one more on the pod next Monday. Next Tuesday, excuse me. And then I'll probably post one the day of the draft on Twitter. Uh, unedited pod again. Um, but today we're just going to go through my top six prospects. Again, this doesn't mean where guys are going to get drafted because I'm not going to lie. Four of the centers are probably not going to be drafted in the first round. Um, the guard and wings are a lot more deeper. Even the Fords, I think two... My you know my five and six and then maybe even four might not even go in the first round either. So again, it's just going off of that. And then I'm gonna give my updated top twenty five greatest players of all time. <laughs> um, my uh, list. You know, people don't tend to like my list. I'm you know I'm. I like to just, I like to go off what I feel. I don't listen to anybody's input, on greatest of all time. I have my list and I stick to it. That's what I've always done. I put guys where I think they should be. Um, and hell, even, we might even go through my, uh, position rankings. I do, I have a top 11 at each position as well. We might even go through that. Um, but yeah, I know some people are going to be pissed about who's off the list and, you know, who's, you know, who's not on the list and who's on the list, where guys are at. I don't care. I don't care. This is my list and this is what I like. I love the criticism though. I take it and I, I listen to it. I argue back, you throw something back, I bottle it up and throw it in the trash because this is my list and this is who I think the top 25 greatest basketball players are of all time. Yes, I know, I favor this era a little more. You know why? Because they're more gifted, they're more skilled. I'm not disrespectful to the guys, but I'm not going to lie, I maybe have, I don't know if I have one guy on here. I have some I have some guys in the 80s, definitely a lot of 90s. Um, but, you know, I think some people might criticize where I have Steph Curry. Um, obviously, I'm going to get criticism for who I have at one. But I, I take that. I've taken that for the last arguments with even my friends going back to grade school on who's the best player. You know, I've said it since um, LeBron was the best player in the world since 2007. And it hasn't changed until now. So 16 years later, finally, somebody took the reign as the greatest player on the, on the planet. In my opinion, Nikola Jokic has done that. It took 16 years, um, 
I can finally definitively say somebody is better than LeBron James at basketball. Um, but he's been the greatest player since 2016. Been the greatest player ever since 2016. Winning that title in Cleveland. The 3-1 comeback. Only player to ever lead a team back from that. Solidified him as the greatest player ever. Everything else. All the records. The extra title in L.A. You know, people always want to harp on, oh, it was the bubble. Okay, well, the Lakers got the biggest... The Lakers and whoever the one seed on the other side was got the biggest disadvantage. They didn't get home court throughout the entire playoffs like they should have. The Lakers would have been at home in every series. They would have had the home court advantage every game. They lost the advantage. All these te- The eight seed of Portland got a, got neutral site with them. Didn't deserve neutral site. They should have had to play in L.A. four times if needed be. Um, but, you know... That is what it is. The bubble was a difficult title to win for everybody. You let you you know all these people that are casuals. They let the pundits that don't know shit, and they let these fans on Twitter that have a robot for an avatar say the bubble was it's not a legit title. The only reason they say it's not a legit title, by the way, just so everybody knows and it's clear, is because LeBron James won it, and because they get on their knees for Michael Jordan. It's the only reason they say it's not legit. If anybody else would have won the title that year, oh, it was it was legit, the hardest title ever won. But because LeBron and the Lakers won it, and LeBron won, and he was Finals MVP, oh, it's Mickey Mouse ring, right? It, it, because those guys are on their knees to their Lord and Savior, Michael Jordan. But we'll get into that list later on. Let's talk about the Denver Nuggets now as they deserve this platform. They were the best team, in my opinion, in the NBA all year. Definitely the best team in the West. Um, handled the Timberwolves 4-1. I think they, they probably could have got through Phoenix quicker, but handled, they blew them out in Game 6 to end the series. They swept the Lakers uh, 4-0, and they come in here, and, you know, they lose Game 2 at home, and it's tied 1-1, and everyone's like, oh, my God, we're going to have a series, and they put that to the rest real quick. They win Game 3 and 4 by double digits, and then they, you know, bad shooting night really by both teams. It was an ugly game, but they found the way to win, and that's all that matters. And like I said, Nicole Jokic is the best player in the world for me. Uh, we'll have that list moving forward of updated for who's the best currently in the NBA. Uh, Nikola Jokic has separated himself from Joel Embiid at a, at a wide margin for me as the best center in basketball. And like I said, uh, I think he's he's for sure locked in at one for me. I think you can still, there's still four guys that I think you could argue. I still think you could argue LeBron after what he did on one foot and what he was doing this year prior he averaged 28, 8, and 6 this year prior to that injury. And then, you know, in the postseason, the, the points were down with the foot injury. I think LeBron is still up there. Top four was Steph. Uh, Giannis, for sure. Uh, I think Luke is in there. Um, you know, I think KD's dropped a little, but I'm not ready to discredit him. Um, you know, I do think he's – he is probably at the point in his career, at, what, 34, 35 years old, where, he you know, Devin Booker's got to be the one. You know, it has to happen at some point. It's just like for LeBron. And it hasn't happened for LeBron, and that's a shame that it hasn't happened for LeBron, that nobody's been able to take the keys away from him. You know, they th- LeBron thought he was giving it to Kyrie, and Kyrie bailed. He thought Anthony Davis, but he's gone through injuries, and, you know, Anthony Davis has, you know, 50-50 game. You know, he'll have, you know, 50% of his games. It's no-show offensively. So, you know, but the Denver Nuggets, they deserve this NBA title. They were the best team uh, in the West. Um, in my opinion, they were just the best team all year. Uh, you know, Jokic... Just a really good team. Their team chemistry is phenomenal. Um, a lot of guys contributed. How about Bruce Brown throughout the whole season? He was massive for them. Aaron Gordon defense in this postseason was tremendous. KCP 
come up big in the Lakers series especially. Um, yeah, so, I mean, the Denver Nuggets deserve this. They were the best team. Again, the Miami Heat, in my opinion, were not the best team in the East in the, in the finals, but they made it here because how hard they play and their willingness to never give in and quit. And I think you, you have a little bit of a soft mentality over there in the East, you know. I think, you know, I, I'm not, I don't think the Cavs are mentally ready. I didn't think, you know, I thought the Knicks were, but apparently, you know, I think Randall and Barrett might be a little soft. Boston, I think, is real soft. The best one was Milwaukee. I thought they got away with that just because Giannis, you know, was injured for a few games. That kind of hurt Milwaukee. But at the end of the day, the Denver Nuggets were the best team. They were the most deserving. Congratulations to them. Mike Malone, Jokic, Murray, shout out CB, Rock Chalk, Jayhawk, getting a title. Won a national title last year. Or, yeah, won a national title at KU as last year and then comes to the NBA and he's an NBA champion. He contributed in this in this NBA Finals, you know, in that, what, game three or four? One of the games. It might have been game three. I can't remember. Honestly, I can't remember. I barely. I'm not gonna lie. I just wasn't completely tuned in. It was just on while I was doing other stuff. But game three or four, I think it was. Th- it was three. Game three, CB scored 11 in the fourth, 15 overall. He was phenomenal. Congrats to him um, and their entire team, staff, everybody. That's for the Nuggets organization. Congrats to them as they are now the reigning NBA champions. And uh, like I said, outside of trades. For these top teams in the West, it's going to be tough to change your roster a lot besides trades. Um, free agency just don't have a lot of money. The Lakers are really the only team. I mean, I was listening to NBA today. Most of them agreed that the Lakers are really the only team that can get their roster better through free agency because the salary cap, and they're going to have some cap space. And uh, I think the Lakers are the only team that I think can – you know, again, though, your two stars have to be healthy to beat Denver. It doesn't matter if you bring in a, real, a lot of good role players around him. You still need your stars to be healthy. I think the Lakers are the only team in the West that have a chance at really catching up towards Denver. Clippers, no Roman cap. Golden State wants to run it back. Don't understand that. Uh, Phoenix can make some trade. That's where Phoenix, obviously, they cut Chris Paul, but they could use Aiton to get three pieces back that can really build around Booker and KD, and that's what they should do. Um, but, you know, I think Denver going in will be the favorites out of the West immediately next year as well because they're going to return almost everybody. So let's get into some combat sports. Start off with boxing. Teofimo Lopez breezes past Josh Taylor, which was – he was the underdog. Teofimo was the betting underdog heading into this fight. And, uh, you know, I I didn't really know what to think about this fight because I know Josh Taylor is good, but he squeaked by the Catterall fight. Um, yeah, I'm not going to lie. At the, uh, at the press conference – it really looked like Tiafimo was under Taylor's skin. Taylor seemed a little on edge, pissed off, and Tiafimo just stared there, cold, stood there cold. Just stared Josh Taylor in the eye. Didn't care about the shit he was saying. And it kind of changed my mind heading in. I was like, man, dude, Tiafimo looks ready. And boy, was he. I didn't get to see the fight, but I saw some highlights, and you know, most people were saying they could. it was hard to find three rounds for Taylor. The scoring was 7-5, seven 7-5, to five, seven, five, and 8 9-3. They said 9-3 was the right card, probably, even 10-2. I'm Brian Campbell, who I follow, morning combat guy. He said it was tough to give Taylor more than two rounds. So, And then Tiafimo announced his retirement today. I, I mean, I think it's just a ploy. He's asking for $100 million. He made, I think he said he made $3 million or like $2 million guaranteed on this fight. He's asking for $100 million to fight. Listen, that's a, it, it's, a, it's a negotiation tactic. He's not going to get $100 million, but he knows he can get more. Um, he will box again. Okay. Tiafimo Lopez will for sure box again. 
no doubt in my mind he boxes again. Um, so, yeah, uh, but big win for him. I think he'll definitely be back. <laughs> Floyd Mayweather fought, what, John Gotti the third or whoever, and they had a post-fight brawl. This was incredible. You can probably look it up. It's all over social media. Uh, referee stops the fight, and Mayweather's talking shit, and Gotti starts charging him, and he gets, and then Gotti gets caught. Floyd slips and bangs with another right, and then Gotti flies back. Entertaining stuff. I don't know what fucking Floyd's doing, though, man. I don't know what he's doing with all this shit. It's, it's kind of embarrassing at this point. Uh, how about Nganu Wilder two-fight deal on the table? Let me get a quick drink. This was big. I do think PFL missed a chance, or Francis missed a chance, of not being at the PFL event for a stare-down with Wilder. But Wilder was at PFL. He tried on the PFL gloves. He said he's interested in fighting. And he proposed a two-fight deal to Francis. A boxing match in their first one, and then they have an MMA fight in PFL next year when they debut their uh, pay-per-view model. I'm interested. <laughs> you know, people can say what they want, but it, Dana White can't poo-poo on this. Can't, because he's now trying to get John Jones and Tyson Fury to fight an MMA fight. Even after he said, we don't do that stuff. This this is good, especially because, let's be honest, I think out of all the heavyweights, especially if it was it really the main talk has been between Fury and Wilder. Well, for Francis, he's going to get smoked in boxing by Tyson Fury. And he's also going to smoke Tyson Fury in MMA. On the other hand, though, with Wilder's power, I think Wilder has a, at least a slim chance at knocking out Francis in MMA. And the way Wilder fights or boxes, I think Francis has a slim chance of knocking him out. So I think it's more competitive and it's more intriguing if it's fucking Ngannou Wilder. Ngannou, the biggest puncher in MMA, probably probably MMA history or up there for sure. And Deontay Wilder, who I think is the biggest puncher in boxing history. I'm, I'm down to see it for sure. So a couple of MMA things. You know, will Jones and Stipe happen? You know, I heard Chell talk, Chell Sonnen talking about this. He seems to have heard that this is not going to happen, and Jones is fine fighting Pavlovich. So it sounds like you could get Jones versus Pavlovich. Sounds like Jones Stipe might be up in flames. We'll see what happens there. Usman Hamzat in October. Dana's still saying no. What's going on with Hamzat is the big question. Why is he not fighting? My guess, there's two guests here, and this is a guess. This is not accusing anything. This is a guess that he could have possibly have visa issues with his, uh, I'm not going to say names, but with his uh, relationship with certain people. I'll not say names. Um, not saying anyone's going to come after me, but I'm going to stay away from that. I'm just going to say that. Or he tested positive for something. Because again, remember what USADA has done now. They don't announce when somebody tests hot for steroids or anything, whatever it is. Did he pop? And is that why he's out still? That would be my guess. Because they've always said the October date is his return date. Why October? Let's look up real quick. I don't even remember the last time he fought. And I don't even know what the uh, suspensions are anymore. I don't know if it's six months. I don't know if it's a year for the first defense. I don't know what it is anymore. So this is what's interesting is how many is it? How is it, you know, how many... Uh, So here we go. His last fight was September of 2022. Okay, September 10th. So let's think about this. If it's a year-long suspension. He was suspended dating back to September 10th. If that was when he tested hot, let's just say. 
not accusing again, just saying. He's suspended for a year, so that ends September 10th of 2023. He applies for his license, and they give it back to him. The pay-per-view that they're expecting him to fight at is October. The math adds up that he got a year-long suspension, and it doesn't get announced, of course. And he's going to fight in October, 13 months later. I'm just saying the math adds up. The math adds up. And Leon and Colby also in October would be, I guess, it's going to, because Leon kind of, they were going to have Colby and Leon fight in England, but they turned it into a fight night because Leon wasn't interested. So Leon and Colby now will probably be in October or November as a co-main event instead to either Islam, um, Islam Oliver 2, or it'll be in November with the John Jones, whoever he's fighting co-main event, probably in Madison Square Garden. So, you know, Leon goes from being the pay-per-view headliner because he turned it down to being a co-main event now. Because everything's booked up, unless Connor isn't fighting this year, unless that happens. Unless something happens with Connor and he doesn't fight in December. Right? That could be possible. Then they could headline December, I guess. We'll see what happens there. UFC 289, Nunes handles Aldana, announces her retirement from MMA. So she smoked Irene Aldana, 50-44 on two cards, 50-43 on another. What is her legacy? It's simple. The greatest woman's fighter of all time, easily. She has been, in my opinion, for a while. Um, I mean, just an incredible, incredible legacy, an incredible run of when... I mean, let's just look at... Let's just look at Amanda Nunes... 35 years old, retiring on top. Um, let's just look at her her run. So when she came into the UFC, it was, it was you know, she got two TKO wins. But then she loses to Kat Zingano. So she starts off 2-1 and one in the UFC. After that, she uh, TKOs Shayna Baszler. She submits Sarah McMahon. Then she gets a decision win over Valentina Shevchenko. Gets the title shot, beats Misha Tate via submission, dominating. Dominating win. Then she comes back and knocks out Ronda Rousey. Um, Then she beats Shevchenko again via decision. So look at those names four in a row. Shevchenko, Tate, Rousey, Shevchenko. Then she gets Raquel Pennington, who's, in my opinion, we'll get to that here in a minute, but I think she's probably going to fight for the vacant title. Then she KOs Chris Cyborg for the featherweight title. The division the, the made for Cyborg. Then she KOs Holly Holm. So she goes Shevchenko, Tate, Rousey, Shevchenko, Pennington, Cyborg, Holm. Then she dominates Durandamy to a decision. She dominates Spencer to a decision, lackluster fight, of course. Then she submits Megan Anderson. Then, obviously, as we know now, fought with injuries, but thought she could just KO Shevchenko, lost via submission to Shevchenko, or to Pena, sorry. Then she redeems it in a dominating five round zero five zero decision win over Pena, and then she dominates again Saturday five zero. You know, at the end of the day, you can't complain her for retiring. Um, can't complain about it. She's going out with probably a decent amount of money. I'm sure she's well off, uh, pretty healthy. I'd say she's obviously been in a lot of you know she's been in. And obviously, every, not every no MMA fighter is going to come out fully healthy, but I think she's going to come out pretty healthy. Um, you know, family to raise, you know, I think it's, it's 35 years old. I mean, what's there to stick around for? She's got nothing left to prove. Obviously, you know, do I think she could run through the division for another two, three years? I do. She's that good, but there's nothing to prove. 
you know, everyone that's coming up next, she's beat Pena. She beat Pennington. She beat Holmes. She beat Durandamy. She's beating all these girls. She's clearing out the division, you know? And there's really, at Bantamweight right now, no serious prospect that I can say, you know, let's look at, we can look up the UFC Bantamweight, uh, women's Bantamweight rankings, but I, there's not a women's, like, up-and-coming Bantamweight that is, I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, in, like, a year, she could definitely beat Nunes. I mean, let's think about it, right? Let's look at it. She beat Pena. She beat Pennington, who's two. She beat Holm, who's three. She beat Vieira, who's four. She beat Ayabdana, who's five. There's really no one. I mean, Tate's at down at 11. She's already beaten her. Yana Santos, I mean, it's just like none of these girls at 135, I'm like, yeah, she's going to. Yana Santos just lost to Holly Holm. So it's like none of these girls are like, it's like, yeah, somebody's going to come beat her. It's not like the, in my opinion, it's not like the, uh, Strawweight or even the flyweight division, who I who got some good prospects, Firo, Santos, Blanchfield, you know, I mean some good prospects, Macy Barber, um, you know, and then over there you got you still got Tatiana Suarez, Mackenzie Dern, Janda Roba at Strawweight, Amanda Limos, Jan Shaunon, you know, those divisions are way better off than Amanda Nunes' bantamweight division. I mean, there's no one there that's going to touch her for the next two three years, in my opinion. So. Congrats to her in retirement, and she's the greatest fighter, women's fighter of all time, for sure. Um, all Vera stops Darius in one. Boy, was that impressive. Um, that was uh, that was really impressive by uh, All Vera. He looked, got back to form after, you know, he fought bad against Islam. What a win for him. Um, my opinion, I don't see how he's not next for the title. Uh, and we'll just talk about one more fight. Canada's own Mike Mallett gets an impressive round two sub win over uh, Adam Fugit. Um, Mike Mallett looks like he's an up and coming prospect. Yeah, he had the big, he probably had the biggest pop of the night. I would say. I mean, they were they were loud for him. That was really cool to see. I like that. Obviously, like I said, it wasn't a great pay per view card, but it's really cool to see a guy like Mike Mallett, you know, just under the co main event, get a huge win like that, and the crowd goes crazy for him. That was really cool. Um, so what's next? Let's go through some guys. You know, fights, you know, Chris Curtis and uh, Imavov ended in a no contest. Don't need to see a rematch. Uh, let's do Chris Curtis, Joe Pfeiffer. Joe Pfeiffer, I think he needs to step up. So here we go, Chris Curtis. Imavov, I think he was well on his way to winning that fight over Curtis. I think Roman Delice, who's coming off the Vittori loss, makes sense. Uh, for Dan Ige, uh, Giga Chikad. Giga Chikadzi. Giga Chad. I think that one makes total sense. Uh, Chikadzi hasn't fought since his loss to Cater. Uh, Ige with now two wins in a row. I think that's the fight to make. For Mike Mallett, I, uh, Tre- Trevin Giles. I think it's a little bit of a step up. I think it's a winnable fight for him, but I think it's definitely a step up that he could take. Irene Aldana, I would go Myra Bueno Silva. Obviously, Aldana, I thought, put on a terrible performance. It just didn't look like she wanted to be there. You know, I just think maybe nerves got to her, but yeah, that sucked for her. Benil Dariush, let's go Rafael Fiziev, who's coming off the loss to Gaethje. I think those two fight makes a ton of sense, if Dariush is going to continue, of course. Charles Oliveira, it's easily Islam Makachev Part 2, no doubt. October, Abu Dhabi, that's the one that makes sense. And for the vacant women's title bout, like I said, Rockwell Pennington, she's won. Let's see, how many fights has she won in a row? She's, she's coming on a good win streak. Rockwell Pennington, five-fight win streak. You know, at one point she was ten and nine, five hundred fighter, and now she's won five in a row. I think that she's definitely, obviously, I think if Nunes stayed around, they were going to give it to Pena. But I mean, she's beaten. I mean, 
and she's beating good girls that are ranked. I mean, she beat uh, Renault, she beat uh, Kinezad, then she beat Chieson, um, then she beat uh, Aspen Ladd, and then she beat uh, Caitlin Vieira. I mean, she's on a win streak, and I think, you know, going against her would be Juliana Pena for sure. She was supposed to be in that fight last night, um, but she was she got injured, so they put in Aldana. And so, yeah, I think Pena versus Pennington for the vacant Bantamweight title makes the most sense. So let's get into this Manchester United sell real quick. So it's rumored that Manchester United could be sold, and there could be already a deal done. Manchester United. There could definitely be a deal done already. Um, with uh, Qatar. I don't know how much. But it seems like there's going to be a deal done. Um, could be could be by you know Tuesday, on Tuesday. Um, Qatar bid seems to be close to a deal. Qatar bid seems to be close to a deal to purchase Manchester United from the Glazers. Um, big buy for them again. They're going to go into the. They're going to go into the. Uh, the super wealth division with Newcastle and Manchester United and Chelsea, or Manchester City and Chelsea. They'll be there now. They're gonna have a lot of money. They, I think, what the reason why Qatar wants to get it done so quick is the transfer window is gonna be starting up, and they want to get on with moves. They want to build the team, and I think that's smart. You know, you want to get it done now. Um, but yeah, so Manchester United to super wealth. Um, congrats to them. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that will be. Uh, it could be done tomorrow. I think it'll probably be done by definitely no later than Wednesday or Thursday for sure, though. So let's get into my top six NBA draft prospects at each position. We're going to start off with centers. Number one, obviously very simple. Let me grab a drink real fast, though. Number one, obviously very simple. Victor Wembanyama out of France. Obviously going to be the number one pick. Two, the only center that I think will go in the first round on this list, besides Wembanyama, obviously, Derek Lively out of Duke. I think he can come in and be an elite rim protector immediately. 7-1, long, athletic as hell. Uh, yeah, I think Derek Lively is a good pick. I've had him mocked to the Lakers a few times. I think he I think he uh, is going to be a really good player in this league. He reminds me a little bit of, I think, like a more athletic version of like Clint Capella type. Number three, James, Na- uh, James Najee out of Nigeria. Again, a lot of upside with this guy. Um, he could sneak into the back of the first. But I think he's a second-round pick. Four, I'm going Adam Sanogo out of UConn. Again, these next three, I think it's going to be tough for them to find their footing in the NBA and be like real contributors, but you never know. I went Sanogo four. I went Shibwe out of Kentucky at five, and then uh, Azulas Tubelis out of Arizona in there at six. Uh, my top six Fords in the 2023 NBA draft. I went Taylor Hendricks one out of UCF. I love this guy. Again, I, I was a... Uh, I'm hoping that he goes to Detroit at five. I think it, that would be a great pick. I think he's unreal. Um, Drees Walker, again, probably another top ten pick out of Houston. Um, you know, versatile, pass the ball. He can handle it. Um, really like Drees Walker's game. And then Gigi Jackson, a guy I really like too out of South Carolina. Really athletic. Um, you know, I think has the ability to actually become a three-point shooter. Uh, he's got he's got good he's got like a good shot you know it's just he's not consistent with it. For Noah Clowney, I think he will be in the first round. Um, could you know he could back half like twenty three to thirty range for sure, but he could be an early second round pick too. You never know, but I think he's a first round talent. 
Uh, these five and six probably going to be early second round guys, in my opinion. You know, a lot of people are hyping up Trace Jackson Davis, who I got here at five. Don't think I'd spend a first round pick on him, but you never know. And then Jalen Wilson out of Kansas at six. I think he is a early second round guy. My top six wings in the 2023 NBA draft. I actually do think all these guys will go in round one. Brandon Miller, obviously at one um, out, out of Alabama. Tremendous uh, jump shooter. Um, can handle the ball. Got to improve on that a little more, but, you know, already an elite shooter coming in. Two, Cam Whitmore to Villanova. Love his game. You know, I think he's going to contribute immediately in the NBA as well. Three, I actually have Julian Strother out of Gonzaga. I love his game. He's, again, a guy I wouldn't mind the Lakers taking at a 17. Can shoot at 6'7", long. I really like his game a lot. Four, Leonard Miller out of the G League. Um, again, long, long athlete. I think he has bright up bright upside for sure. Uh, five, five, Bryce Sensible out of Ohio State. Again, guys come in, going to be a pretty good shooter immediately. He was a really good shooter in college. He'll be a first-round pick for sure. And then six, I think Chris Murray does get into the first round out of Iowa. Had a mock to his brother's team actually a few times, Sacramento. So we'll see if that happens. Again, good shooter, good score. I think he'll he'll be pretty good in the NBA as well. Top six shooting guards. Point guard and shooting guard is definitely a little deeper. Uh, I want to assure Thompson, number one, out of overtime elite. Again, all-around guy, athletic. I think the Thompson brothers are both going to be really good. I want Grady Dickett, too. Again, I think he's by far the best. No, I wouldn't say by far, I guess. He is the best shooter in this class, and I think he'll contribute year one in the NBA to a team. Uh, Jordan Hawkins out of UConn at three. Love his game. Smooth operator. Got the dribble, can get to the rim, but also good pull-up. Really good three-point shooter. Love Jordan Hawkins' game. Another guy I love that, you know, this is, you know, these next two guys I would love the Lakers to get at 17 as well. Maxwell Lewis out of Pepperdine, long two guard, uh, can score. Um, I really like Maxwell Lewis's game a lot. And then Dariq Whitehead at five, you know, I, I love his upside. I think injuries kind of plagued him from being a really good college player and being, in my opinion, I mean, he was projected to be a top 10 pick. Um, so I think I think he will be a good NBA player, though. He's built for it. And then I have Keontae George at six. I'm not super high on Keontae. I like his game, but... I'm not in love with Keontae's game, you know. I think he takes questionable shots. Um, I think his shot is a his shot decision is a shot IQ is a little off for me, but I do think he has the upside to be a really good player. And let's go to the point guards, which I think is the best. The, uh, the best six is the point guard position. I think you have four top ten picks at point guard, and then probably six. All six could be lottery picks, no farther than like 16, though, 18 range. Uh, Scoot Henderson, obviously number one. You know why. I mean, he'd be the number one pick in any draft besides one Baniyama's probably. Amen Thompson, again, stud. Got to be probably a top five pick out of overtime elite. Uh, three, Nick Smith. Love his game. You know, I think he's going to be such a good player. And then his, his running mate at Arkansas, Anthony Black, I think, you know, you could argue his upside's a little better than Nick Smith, but I like Nick Smith a little more. But I love Anthony Black as well. Five, a guy, another guy I really love. Jalen hood Shafino out of Indiana. I think his game in the NBA is going to be very good. I think he'll be a very good NBA player. Six, I like Cason Wallace out of Kentucky. I'm not super high on him like others. I think most people think he's going to be around the 8 to 12 range. I think it's a little high, in my opinion. But I do think he's a good player. But I, I would not take him in the top 10 for sure. But So those are my – that's my uh, top six – players at each position like I said we'll have a mock draft final mock draft next week and then we'll have or no we'll have a mock draft on the pod next week and then the day of the draft which I believe is Friday or Thursday we'll I'll post one on Twitter as well at unedited pod on Twitter 
So let's go through my updated top 25 greatest players of all time. Um, one, two, three. Really, one, two, three, four is really easy for me. Always been. LeBron, one, obviously. Greatest player of all time. Michael Jordan, two. Um, again, two's not bad. Jordan, Dick Riders, two's not a bad spot to be. Kobe Bryant, RAP, the legend, at number three. And then Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in there at four. Here's where I think lists should start. I don't think they do because a lot of people have Bill Russell in their top. Again, that's just ridiculous. Uh, Wilt Chamberlain in there at five for me. I would then go Shaquille O'Neal at six. And this is where I think it might get criticism. I have Stephen Curry at seven. And I think he has the ability to reach the top five all time. I don't know if I'd ever put him over Kareem. But I do think he can get over Shaq and Wilt for sure. Magic Johnson I have at eight. Larry Bird at 9, and Tim Duncan to round out my top 10. I think when people have Duncan in the 7-6 range, even 8, it's a little high for me because I think the guy at 11, you could easily put over him and Akeem Olajuwon, who I have at 11. At uh, 12, I have Kevin Durant. 13, Dirk Nowitzki. 14, Carl Malone. 15, I think this is going to get some eyeballs. Uh, John Stockton at 15. Uh, when you talk about pure point guard, when it comes to just playing the point guard position. I think he's the best to ever do it when it comes to facilitating. He was a good shooter, good defender. He has two of, you know, I think LeBron, there's four, that I can think of off the top of my head, four untouchable records. There, there's probably more. LeBron's going to put the points out there. Uh, you're going to have to play that long and average 27 and a half of your career for 20 years to break that. Good luck. Um, LeBron's streak of double-digit points scored in games. It's at 1,000 or something. Um, John Stockton's assist record is going to be very tough to be broken. And his steals. So two very untouchable records. John Stockton gets, uh, because he played with Carl Malone, he was technically the number two. He gets, uh, in my opinion, he gets a little too, too much hate. 16, Dwayne Wade. Again, in my opinion, shooting guard rankings is easily third. Uh, 17, Nikola Jokic. I had him in my top, when I did, I did top 50, I had a top 50 list. He was mid-30s, uh, but again, four straight years of being easily the best center in the NBA. Two MVPs, now a really dominant postseason run and a finals MVP. Jokic has crept into my top five greatest centers ever. He's five. He's not past the team yet, but he's Jokic is great. Uh, 18, Charles Barkley. 19, Kevin Garnett. 20, David Robinson. 21, James Worthy. Uh, 22, James Harden. 23, Clyde Drexler. 24, Dominique Wilkins. And 25, Jason Kidd to round out my top 25. If we want to go into it, I'll run it real quick. And if you got anything to say, you can obviously hit the line, but... So greatest centers of all time. Obviously, we named five or six of them. Kareem, one. Wilt, two. Shaq, three. Akeem, four. Jokic, five. Dave Robinson, six. I go Moses Malone, seven. Bill Russell, eight. George Mikan, nine. Dwight Howard, ten. And Patrick Ewing, 11. Power forwards. Uh, Tim Duncan, one. Dirk Nowinski, two. Carl Malone, three. Charles Barkley, four. Kevin Garnett, five. James Worthy, six. Giannis Antetokounmpo, seven. Pau Gasol, eight. Bob Pettit, 9, Kevin McHale, 10, and Kevin Love, 11. Small forwards, LeBron, 1, Bird, 2, Durant, 3, Wilkins, 4, 
Elgin Baylor 5, Julius Irving 6, Scottie Pippen 7, Carmelo Anthony 8, Rick Barry 9, Paul Pierce 10, Alex English 11. Shooting guards, Michael Jordan 1, Kobe Bryant 2, Dwayne Wade 3, James Harden 4, Clyde Drexler 5, Allen Iverson 6, George Gervin 7, Reggie Miller 8, Ray Allen 9, Pistol Pete 10, and Clay Thompson 11. Point guards, Stephen Curry 1, Magic Johnson 2, John Stockton 3, Jason Kidd 4, Isaiah Thomas 5, Jerry West 6, Chris Paul 7, Steve Nash 8, Russell Westbrook 9, Oscar Robertson 10, Gary Payton 11. So those are my list. I'll give you a quick update. So uh, we went 3-3, three and three, me, uh, Colby Carter, and myself. So we're 21-21, and 21, still at 500. Schmidt and Nick, another good week. They went 4-2. They're 22-19-1, so now a game and a half up um, on us um, in the standings. Both parlays fall to 1-5, and five, right? Yep, man, yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Both parlays fall to 1-5. So, yeah, um, again, good to be back. Love being back on the pod, always. Um, we'll definitely back KB and the boys Friday. Um might even have a couple. Well, definitely me and Schmidt will be together live for the pod. Um, Carter and Nick potentially as well. Colby will be via Zoom, I believe. I don't know if he's coming back to town this coming weekend. I don't think so anyway. So, yeah, uh, can't wait. But we'll be there Friday for KB and the boys and then next week for Unedited. Thank you guys for listening. Peace.